0: This is Joseph Gervaisi. I'm here with Mark Scott, formerly of the band Fracture. Today is August 7th, 2013. Uh, we're conducting this interview in my home in beautiful Roxborough, and this is part of Loud Fast Philly. Hello, Mark Scott. Good afternoon, Joseph right. I guess we'll begin with young Mark Scott, as the interviews tend to begin. Um, so could you tell me where and when you were hatched?
1: Uh, I was born in Arizona, grew up in Newtown Square in uh, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb about 30 minutes outside of Philadelphia, and I grew up in a really privileged um, right-wing home, went to a private Christian school, and uh, had a very small world until punk jumped in and kind of blew the doors off it.
0: So what did you, what was this privilege owed to? I mean, what were your parents doing that brought in this much monies? (laughs) Uh, my dad more or less invented the infomercial. Wow! And uh, and it, in concept, or or like, how does that how does that work?
1: He in the late '70s and early '80s, he started working for this company called American Telecast, and um, I think it had a different name back then. But uh, they had a few products, and he decided that uh, to market them, the, the the best idea would be to develop these talk show formatted programs that were essentially commercials but they were a half hour long and get a celebrity to endorse a product and hoodwink everyone into thinking they were watching a talk show and then boom there's the product um, and some of the products really took off and that's,
0: that's where he made his, uh, his mark. Wow. Didn't you spend some time in Versailles or something? I mean, you mentioning something when we talked before. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, some of my
1: friends um, referred to the house that I grew up in as Versailles. It had eight bathrooms. Only one of them didn't have a uh, bathtub or shower wow. in it. So it was, a, it was a pretty large house. It was a great place to hang out. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's where I grew
0: up. So young Mark has a pretty comfortable existence. But at some point then, this, this creeping tendril comes into your head right so like what were you interested in or like prior to the discovery of punk and then how did this thing wind up coming into your life
1: i uh i got i i saw the cover of a bmx plus in in the in the local wawa when i was probably in first or second grade and picked it up and took up an interest in uh doing tricks on bikes and i got really into that and that kind of segued into skateboarding when I saw Back to the Future, I thought skateboards were super cool, so I got a skateboard and I started skating and uh, I, I really didn't have any friends in the neighborhood, so I would just skate by myself and then I met this kid named Mike Rallstein, uh skating around. He lived in the next town over and we were, I was skating in this one spot and he and some of his friends came over and they were skating and uh, I guess that was around fifth grade, and I was listening to Cindy Lauper and White Snake and whatever was on the radio, and uh, and we started hanging out. And uh, I always thought the Misfits logo was cool. I know I'd seen it in Thra- you know, Thrasher magazine and mm-hmm. everything in the t-shirt section. And um, so you know, I-, I asked about the Misfits, and he gave me a copy of Legacy of Brutality, and then he made me a mixtape. This is Mike. Yeah, 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 and uh, and and the mixtape made me really kick the doors open. That was uh you know had MDC and Minor Threat and that that's more or less what got me into hardcore. And from there, skateboarding kind of took a backseat to music. I, I continued to skate and I enjoyed it, but I I really got into going to shows. Uh, the first show I went to was Spaghetti in the parking garage of Drexel University
0: amazing show oh my god for that to be the first show oh oh, yeah it was was mind
1: blowing coming from this really like hyper conservative very religious Rush Limbaugh kind of world uh, to seeing this band play in this parking garage and seeing people dance as punks will dance for the first time seeing people of the same gender make out seeing skinheads and punks and mohawks and Forty bottles and people wrapped up with their scarves playing on a stage, and just all of it was just so mind blowing. And this, um, is what, uh, this
0: is what this is. Nineteen ninety, was it or ninety one? I feel like A9? it was. Eight, it was either eighty nine or ninety. Eighty nine. Okay.
1: Yeah. It Was it WKDU presents? I can still see the flyer in my head. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and and that that just I. I it,
0: and there's a show they play with Scram, yes, Scram yeah Scram right, and
1: 200 yeah, Stitches, yeah, 200 stitches. And yeah
0: I still have the flyer on my wall at my parents house kind of a green horizontal flyer with like a figure or something yeah yeah just kind of
1: a a kind of a shabby but awesome sketch of a guy standing in front of a wall i'm not sure if he's urinating or not my memory's a little hazy but i don't know um, but it it was just i I, it was just mind-blowing i it it was the first time i'd ever seen live music other than my dad taking me to see gospel singer sandy patty when i was in second grade very different and uh and i i just i i knew at at that show that my life was changing forever you mm-hmm. know that was just kind of I, I knew it was the beginning of something and it, it kind of dovetailed with that age where you begin to become aware of who you are and what's going on around you i mean i i, I guess i was 12 uh, 12 or 13 and just being exposed to this alternate reality with so many different kinds of people and different value systems and different politics uh than what i'd been raised in and um it just blew my mind i i there are no words really
0: to describe that so how did you begin to move in into this thing in earnest then? from that point Uh,
1: it it, it was you know as i said i continued to skate and and i guess that was kind of at first it was all about skating and you know I'd, i'd hop the bus down to 69th street and then we'd hop the subway and we'd go down to center city and Hit the record stores, Third Street Jazz and Rock, Philadelphia Record Exchange, and we'd skateboard to all the different locations that we went to check out music. And music was kind of just you know the music and the pizza, the underground pizza shop. Those were just kind of things that happened while we were skating. But eventually, skating became the way that we would get to those important places. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and you know, just going to see bands became. Um, The the, the most important thing and we'd go out to there was a club out in Reading called Unisound Mm -hmm. um, That that we go see bands play in and you know, there was revival. I guess we went to a lot and uh, I I guess it there was just kind of this transition from Skateboarding to music where like I said, you know It was originally about the skating and music was just something it was the soundtrack that accompanied that and just something Mm -hmm. that you know, we did along the way and then skateboarding just kind of took a backseat to all of it. And I kind of found, you know, I think in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, um, I was becoming aware of who I was. And in some ways, I feel like punk really shaped my identity. Um, and in other ways, I kind of feel like the, the politics and the message of a lot of the, the punk that I got into... I think it resonated with who I already was. I mm-hmm. was always a bleeding heart. I always uh cared about others and and, and wanted to make the world a better place and, and really that that was such such a core piece of who uh I was.
0: How do you think you came to be that way if it stands in such stark contrast to your parents, your father and the environment uh, in which you were raised?
1: It <clears throat> it, it, it you know I I guess that raises the whole question of nature versus nurture, which I've always been of the mind that everybody's both, you know, Mm -hmm. that that you're born with a certain nature and if it's nurtured in the right way, um, then you become everything you were supposed to be. But I kind of feel like as far back as I can remember, I've always I remember I was uh, 7 or 8 years old and I got into a yelling match with a kid cuz he kept stomping on ants. Like that was his thing, you know, we were we were hanging out and I was just sitting on the curb and I just remember him stomping on all these little ants and I was like, "Dude, you're killing him. You're killing." Him, and getting really upset about it. And that's just kind of how I've always been wired and a lot of other pieces of my identity have shifted over the years, but I've always had this uh, really soft heart that was concerned with the well being of others and punk being what it was in the nineties you know it it, it was um <clears throat> you know it had obviously moved on from the nihilism of the seventies and and had this kind of political social message and I feel like the lyrics i mean the the hook for me was the music i mean the first time I heard filler by minor threat um i i i actually was still a christian mm-hmm. and and yeah the, the the lyrics i was able to get around the lyrics because the music just i mean it just kicked me in the balls i like it's from, from the very opening note it just it, it got me so the music hooked me but then i found that a lot of the lyrics particularly with the discord stuff um uh just just the whole the whole drive for social change and taking care of those who uh, are overlooked and and have a harder time looking out for themselves. It just kind of resonated with who I was. Um, mm-hmm. So there was that. I kind of, I kind of also feel like there was this. Uh, you know, you have all these little memories of little little points that that kind of turned you. Um, I remember the first time I heard uh, we've we've got a bigger problem now by Dead Kennedys mm-hmm. on and God We Trust Incorporated and just being so creeped out, just thinking, holy shit what is this like listening to the lyrics looking at the pictures of the women driving by the kkk demonstration and like listening to the lyrics and being truly scared and thinking the world is not not all is right it's not the way it was uh, portrayed by my parents or my teachers or mm-hmm. the minister that there was a lot going on outside of that that little realm that I had grown up in
0: I'm sure once you come into Philadelphia you know the city and you see people not living in the way that you're living you know clearly life isn't working that well for them it has to be something of a you know an eye-opener
1: right it was I I will say that I was spending so much time in parts of the city that really didn't reflect what's going on in Philadelphia at large I mean I was in Center City and South Street and you don't see so much of the uh, you know of, of the issues that are affecting everybody else in the city, but yes, you know, even just running into a guy asking you for change, you know, just, just simple things like that definitely kind of turn your world upside down if you mm-hmm. grow up in the white burbs yeah. and all of your needs are met and you live in a castle and it, it definitely changes everything.
0: So there's a, is there a friction created then as young Mark Scott kind of moves into punk with his, you know, the different set of ideals that's coming along with it and then maybe like the trappings, the physical trappings of clothes or hair... You know, within the school and the home. Uh.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, there the, the was my dad was not around much. He he spent most of his time out in California. Um. So we didn't have to butt heads too much. Uh, but but when he was home, I, I one time he saw a, uh, a bumper sticker I got uh, on a field trip. We went to a Quaker meeting house and. There was some anti-nuclear arms sticker that mm-hmm. I had taken from there and put on my skateboard. And my dad saw that and he freaked out and talked about, you know, you just lambasting how me. How much he loves nuclear him. arms? Well, yeah. <laughs> how, they, how they keep us safe and da-da-da-da-da. And I remember him seeing, uh, I, I had bought State of the Union on Discord Records, the compilation, and it had a lot of very political, um, uh, you know, propaganda, like, all over it now say propaganda in a bad way, it, but it just, you know, it, it had all this, uh, anti arms stuff all over it. And my dad saw the back of that and and just freaked out. I mean, just really, really freaked out. Uh, and so, you know, we, we had our conflicts, but he and my mom were, were kind of falling apart by middle school, and he was spending most of his time out west, so I didn't have to butt heads with him too much. So yeah. he
0: had a bigger problem now, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to deal with that. yes, yes. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, it, it it's funny, he's he said so many times since then that, um, if he had been around, there's no way that I would have turned out, you know, to be such a pinko and da-da-da-da-da-da,
0: and um. Oh, is this a, a continuing conflict between the two? Of you? I mean, is he—is that the way that he sees you now?
1: Yeah, I mean, he—he, he, there are things about me that he really likes, uh, but he hates my politics. He hates my um, the fact that I'm not Christian, that I'm not religious. There, you know, um, to be honest, I'm not even entirely sure what he still likes about me. But, but I mean, <laughs> we, we we get along if we don't get into politics, and I've just gotten to the point where. Uh, I don't really bring it up because I know there's no changing him. I know that we're never going to reach any sort of compromise uh, on our points of view. He's not going to reach me and change me. I'm not going to reach him or change him. So we just kind of try to, when we do see each other for a day or two a year, you Mm -hmm. know, we, we, we tend to just kind of not talk about that stuff. And if he brings it up, I just kind of sit there silently and just let him go there's
0: no yeah there's nothing to be gained in that situation you figure he should just be like playing with the grandchildren or something like i I mean just it's not like you live in a trash can or something now as a result of your life decisions i mean you know you are a professional you're a teacher you have children you're married you know right it's not
1: but my children and my wife and i are all going to hell
0: yeah you don't (laughs) love the lord well how did did you how did you lose the lord then i mean how did how did that process go down (laughs)
1: You know, <laughs> that's some deep philosophical water. I, at the time that I rejected the faith, I still believed that it was true, and this is kind of a weird thing to admit to a dictaphone um, that, that will end up on the internet. But I, I honestly believe that I was going to go to hell for rejecting the faith. But um, you are, by the way. <laughs> and, and it wasn't even the faith I, I rejected. I believed that it was. I, I, I continued at the time to believe that it was absolute truth, and that I'd burn in hell for it but I, I just couldn't reconcile, um, I couldn't bring myself to love a God that was going to send most of the human race to hell, which according to scripture, you know, anybody who doesn't profess the Lordship of Jesus is going to hell. And to me that did not gel with my, uh, compassion or my worldview. Um, I couldn't imagine all of the, you know, most of the people that I loved and cared about at that time going to hell. And I just, it, 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 you know, if the if the number one law of of the Bible is to is to love God, I just felt like I was incapable of loving a God that was so tyrannical and cruel and inhumane. Mm-hmm. And then in time, I came to a point where I continued to believe that there is a God, but if there is a God, there's no chance that he's so small-minded and cruel and inhumane that he would damn three quarters of the human race for not getting it for not knowing what name to call him or which building to go to Mm -hmm. to pray to him and Mm -hmm. and you know i've i guess i've gone back and forth between atheism and agnosticism over the years and right now i'm i'm kind of more i'm an agnostic or a deist or somewhere in between i think there's someone out there that kind of kick-started the process but i don't think anybody's going to hell for not knowing what to call it Mm -hmm. so um but yeah that 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 was a a long strange process and i honestly believed you know in in this martyristic kind of way i may have just invented that word um that i i was going to go to hell for rejecting the faith my dad continues to believe that i'm going to hell and he told me two Christmases ago your whole family's going to hell and it's your fault for not taking spiritual leadership give me a two-hour lecture over the phone (laughs) yeah i'm just like (laughs) Come on, man. I'm 37. Do I really need to continue to get these kinds of elections?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I but, think um, you're better off with the position of atheism because then you don't have to worry about burning in hell. Like for a young person <laughs> to just like not believe in God, it seems to be that much easier than to believe in something that will send you burning into an, a pit for eternity, which right. sounds
1: really horrible. A, a, yeah. And, and so that, that whole fear has, you know, subsided. I, I, I stopped believing that by the time I hit 20, I you know, if not well before, um, It just just ceased to make sense to me and and the evidence of my
0: conscience and,
1: you know, the world around me. I just couldn't imagine a compassionate God, if God is
0: compassion and love, sending anybody to hell, really. Mm -hmm, Right. And this is kind of jumping ahead a bit. We'll, We'll go into this and then come back. But so then having, you now have three children, how is it that, what do you... How do you raise them in, in that sense? Like, uh, Are they raised as atheists or agnostics? Do they, are they presented with a bouquet of different religions? Like, How do you, how do you work if, through that?
1: If I had to coin a term, I'd call it choicest. They, they have mm-hmm. choices. and uh, we, uh, My wife and I are both vegetarian. I've kind of been back and forth with, with it over the years. But, uh,
0: so you've not always been vegetarian? No,
1: I was from sixth grade uh, until I graduated from high school. Then I went through this kind of nihilist, fuck it all phase and and just did whatever I felt like and started eating meat and have kind of gone back and forth with that over the years. But then about a year ago, you know, it was July 15th of last year, uh, my youngest daughter, she's eight, Julia, looked at my leather belt and said, Dad, is that leather? And I said, yeah. And she said, real leather? And I said, yeah. And she said, from a cow? And I said, yep. And she looked me in the eye and said, you know, we really shouldn't kill things just because we want something and then she stood up and walked away just that simple you know Mm -hmm. just this this kid saw it so clearly and saw it the way that i would have seen it had anyone ever made me think about vegetarianism when i was eight years old it would have been that clear Mm -hmm. and from that point forward you know i haven't thrown away any of my leather and i can't afford to go buy new canvas stuff but i haven't had any meat since and Mm -hmm. um it, it, it's it's funny how you know like we, we we've tried to raise our kids to be ethical and decent and i am now looking to them in a weird way for guidance uh not not so much actively but they kind of reground me in any sort of decency or goodness that has ever made me who i am and sometimes i lose touch with and mm-hmm. then hanging out with them and seeing what decent Amazing people they are that often inspires me and regrounds me in in the ethics that I think are you, you know not to say that eating meat is unethical or anything but it just it, that they, argument could kind be of, made though yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it could be but but we give them we give them choices we we it was so horrific for Karen and I when we first became vegetarian um, when we were kids to figure out you know to to learn about factory farms and to really think about the fact that we were eating. You know, dead former sentient beings, and and that we had never been given a choice in the matter. So we wanted our kids to have the choice. We want them to be old enough to understand what animals are, what meat is, uh, before they had the option of eating meat. So when they, were, when each of them turned five, we gave them the choice. And and Julia tried fish. Maddie didn't want to try it. You know, she was very so, so
0: up to five. They were vegetarian. Yeah, okay. yeah, and then, and, and, and then they five.
1: and they still are. Julia tried fish, didn't like it, and then also kind of jumped back. Excuse me. Into the uh, animals are our friends mentality, like very quickly. Um, and in terms of religion, it's kind of always been, hey, you want to check anything out? Let me know. I'll pick up a, a Bible, a Bhagavad Gita, a Torah, like whatever you want to check out. I'll take you to whatever building. We can call God whatever you want. We can we can check out anything. We'll explore mm-hmm. any of it. And they, you know, Maddie is a self-professed atheist she has been for a long time she asked me um (laughs) she figured out that santa claus was a fraud uh
0: wait what are you saying (laughs) when 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 she
1: was i think she was five or six and and she looked at me she's like dad is santa claus like unicorns and fairies and jesus And, and I had never told her that Jesus was, you know, a, a fraud. Um, but she just kinda she 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 had it pegged pretty early on that yeah. she wasn't gonna buy into any particular uh bearded man and was calling herself an atheist by the time she knew what atheism was. And it wasn't forced, you know. Um but that's where she is. And Julia for a time believed in Jesus. Uh now she kind of has this generic concept of God. Um I think the Jesus thing just came from her friends. We live in Upper Derby, and it's it's a fairly you know Catholic area. I'm sure a lot of her friends in school are Catholic, and she's mm-hmm. heard a lot about Jesus. so yeah. um so she went through this phase where she believed in Jesus and we supported that, if that's you know what she wanted to check out. um, but now she just kind of has this. I believe that something created the universe and kickstarted the whole process, but you know she's kind of sharing the same views that we have. but there's nothing didactic about it or, or, you know, we're, we're not forcing our views. We, the only thing we, we, the only rules we have in our house really are really simple, you know, get your education, work hard in school and be kind to others. Just real simple. Mm-hmm. Everything falls under those two rules, you know? And if you do those two things, we're happy. And I, you know, my children, honestly, they do They, they, they work so hard in school and we don't, You know, shame them or beat them up if they come home with a bad grade. Although they never do, but if they did, we wouldn't. And uh, and they're truly just just decent, kind, uh, humane, compassionate uh, human beings who look out for each other, look out for their friends, uh, look out for the needs of others, and so so that's you know that that's it i mean i guess we're vaguely spiritual i don't want to say it in some sort of generic 20th century like eastern sense like we're spiritual but you know like we we believe that there's something more than matter you know um karen and i at least and and i think that's where our kids are at but we're not telling them what to believe we're just kind of supporting their exploration of
0: things and encouraging them to think could you retroactively adopt me (laughs) Sure. Okay. Good. <laughs> I know uh, how to use the litter box. I, I,
1: I'm, I'm hoping that that my children turn out like you. So, so I mean, God, I, I, I don't know that. You, <laughs> don't don't hope for that. It, 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 and and that may go back to the question of nature versus nurture. You you probably you know your 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 dad was in the army. Yes. And and I would guess a little more conservative than
0: liberal. Uh, oh, by by far, by right, far. Right. Yeah, and
1: you yeah, turned yeah. you turned out like you. So, yeah. I mean, people are going to be who they're going to be, but um, we're definitely encouraging them to find, find the, the, the better aspects of themselves and and uh listen to that part of them
0: good all right let's go back to punk uh <laughs> so i guess where we last left off with that you were you were coming into the scene you were first going to shows in early 90s uh, how long does it take until you decide you want to be in a band like to, to become kind of an active participant in this thing that you were seeing
1: you know i think by sixth grade that was one of the nice things of growing up rich was anything that i wanted to try my parents could could fund so I, you know like i asked for a guitar and i got a guitar and i started messing around and then eventually i got a drum kit and started messing around with that and i think in sixth grade i played you know i, I was still christian and i i knew some other uh kids who were christian but who were also into hardcore and punk and So I played with these two guys from Havertown a few times, and we—I think we covered "Crucified" by Agnostic Front, and tried one or two originals. They were horrible. Uh, I'm so glad I don't have the cassette tape. Somebody does. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm hoping it never surfaces. It was horrible. But um, but then you know, then I didn't play with anyone for a while. That that was very short lived, and then um. You know, I was going to shows at JC Dobbs, which then became the Pontiac, I guess. And mm. is it JC Dobbs again now? Yeah, I think it, yeah. Right. So I started, you know, going to see bands play at JC Dobbs and first one I think was Super Chunk. May have been something before that, but uh, but there was this uh, band fracture that I was really into. I was not originally a member of and I wasn't friends with them. They grew up about forty five minutes away from me and being really into like my favorite kinds of punk uh early on where were uh, you know the dc strain from like you know mid 70s to present uh and i also liked all the berkeley stuff screeching weasel Crimpshrine, operation ivy and being a huge op ivy fan uh i saw fracture play and just about shit my pants with glee i just thought they were the greatest thing i'd ever seen um so you know, not in any sort of. Well, maybe it was a kiss-ass way. I don't know, but um, I, I just admired them so much, and every time they play, I'd walk up and talk to them and tell them how fantastic I thought they were. And um, eventually, the guitarist uh, Adam of Adam and his Package, uh, he said he was going to college, and he's like, you know, I, I know you play guitar. Would would you be interested in, in you know coming to a few practices and replacing me? And da da da. da. So. You know, I (laughs) I was I was like, as far as I was concerned, that that that'd be like being asked to play in Led Zeppelin. That was just the best thing in the Mm -hmm. world. And they were a little bit older, um, just just slightly. And but that little bit usually makes a big difference. Yeah, it it does. And when you're a kid, you know, like a year or two older than you is just Mm -hmm. you know like. So they were on a pedestal, and and uh, so I went to a few practices. It worked out. And for a brief time, I was the sole guitarist of Fracture, and then um, I guess that was when I was in eighth or ninth grade, probably ninth grade. And then Adam started commuting back from Wesleyan in Connecticut, and 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 we became a two-guitar band. Um, my first show was opening up for Chumbawamba at JC Dobbs and that was amazing they were fantastic but it was also just like
0: oh, holy shit like yeah, I saw up. the flyer for that show with a little weird like drawing of the face on it oh, like, I don't you know, think I ever like, even it's saw it's like fly. a really jerky like shitty drawing of like a face with its mouth open or something
1: flyers <laughs> in the 90s <laughs> pre-photoshop <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was especially um,
0: bad when people first started using computers and used the worst font yeah. uh, you know or like a clip art everything would be all like something. pixelated yeah yeah
1: um Yeah. So, so that was, you know, that was my first show opening up for them and, and from, you know, from that point forward, it was just, there there was something, of course, part of it appealed to the ego being on a stage and, and feeling like you were doing something that other people valued and, but, 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 but the more appealing aspect of it was feeling like there was some sort of communion. And coming from a dysfunctional family, as I'm sure some so many punks do, uh, you know, rich and privileged as I was, my, my my family sucked, and my parents, you know, whenever my dad was in town, it was you know pots and pans flying and screaming and cursing and everything else, most unchristian like behavior between a married couple. Uh, so, you know, like I felt like I was part of a family, and mm-hmm. I, I think that communal aspect um, really kind of further grounded me in, in punk and made me realize that that was who I was and something I wanted to be part of.
0: So what, any feelings or observations on the, the sort of, and this is kind of an overarching question, but the, the 90s hardcore punk experience, you know, what do, what do you think came about in the 90s that was unique to, to that decade and to the participants, at least within Philadelphia, and then maybe, you know, through the rest of the uh, country or
1: world? It's hard to say because, as you pointed out in a prior discussion, uh, you know there was punk, punk was happening before I came along, so it's hard to say what was already going on. Uh, and it's, you know, having dropped out of it, I mean, I still listen to music nonstop. I still make music uh, for my own listening, my children's, and my friends, but I've completely dropped out of it. So I don't know what's going on now. I feel very out of touch with all of it, and. You know, it's hard to say other than watching videos on YouTube, what was going on before I came along. Um, but my experience was it it seemed as though. I guess what re- I, I, I can't say what distinguishes it, but it just it really felt like we were building something, you know, and I, I think. I think that's a a theme that you can see uh in in lyrics by certain bands i know ignition touched on it a a, a bit just the whole sense that like it it wasn't just music we were like building something together and uh when i when i first came into it um most of the shows uh you know were, were at bars and they would have all ages shows and stuff but you know they were set up by people much older than me or any of my friends and we just felt so grateful that they would ask us to play um You know or grateful just to go see bands play period um and and then when the cabbage collective came along it all, all of a sudden we felt a little more grown up and empowered and like we were we just felt less powerless we felt like we can do this we can set up our own shows you know like we we have friends who are setting up shows we can um you know set up you know, record booths in the back and, and whatever. It just, it just felt like we were, you know, the, to do all that stuff when you're a teenager, especially with the limited resources that we had back then. Um, it, it, it just, it felt incredible to to build something to book your own shows to, to go on a tour to go out of town to hop in a van you had to like get directions and there was no map quest <laughs> you know like You're using a book no book your own internet. fucking life the, Yeah the, right. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know just contacting people from the back of uh MRR or whatever you know like yeah. it it just it, it was really mind blowing and empowering and made us feel much more grown up than we actually were and um and I'm I'm sure that's Part of the appeal of being in bands period. I'm sure it continues now and I'm sure it was going on long before I came along, but it, it, it just speaking to my own experience, it mm-hmm. was just really empowering not only to pick up a guitar and to play music, but to be playing at shows that were set up by friends of ours and to not have to rely on, you know, people in their forties um, to set up the shows for us. And and just that whole, like, kind of uh, communal nature of, of music and, and the whole music scene back then. Putting together zines, writing terrible things. I've unearthed some of them recently. I was cleaning out my basement and found some essays I
0: wrote for Zen. Don't zines. show to the kids. Oh, no, no, no. No, no
1: yeah. one will ever see them ever. They were horrible. Reading old lyrics, horrible. But, but it, it's still just, you know, the whole process and experience of it. Um, it's something that. It, it, it's hard to communicate to anybody who hasn't already been through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I'm sure that people continue to experience it and, and, and experience all the glories of it, but it's, it did seem in context. Uh, again, I don't know what challenges people face now, but it seemed like in context, just like, you know, there, there, there wasn't an internet to streamline the process and we really had to work and struggle to, to make things happen. And, and we did, and we set up our own record labels and we recorded our own demos and our own records and, and, and set up our own shows. And it, it was just really, uh, an empowering, it, it felt very empowering. And, and I, I guess that would be the best way of describing it. And I imagine
0: out. that sticks with you. Cause it seems that it sticks with a lot of people like these experiences of actually doing things as a young person are kind of retained i would imagine and then you get a feeling that you can do other things you know you could do this as a kid yeah i i feel like it didn't build me up it didn't make me egotistical
1: but it it certainly gave me an ego and i had none you know prior to that it gave me a sense of self and a sense of like i can accomplish anything that I that that I really want to if I work hard enough, which I guess is a pretty generic message that we, you know, being on this side, you know, being an adult and mm-hmm. being a teacher and being a father, you try to impart that to all young people. It's a pretty generic message, but punk actually helps, like helps you do it. You
0: know, yeah, like, I think it, a lot of people may hear that, but they don't actually get to experience it because they're constantly told, well, you can't really do that. You know, you really shouldn't do that, and, right. and things are very sort of regimented and tightly controlled for fear that someone's going to you know stub their toe or you know, cut their finger or something and here you're kind of like out doing this thing um, and you're, you are actually genuinely doing the thing that people say that you should be empowered enough to theoretically do.
1: Yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's funny you saying that because as a parent, there's definitely this tension between, as a parent and a teacher, um, you know, I still have this, you know, anti-authoritarian uh, like punk streak in me and I, I never wanted to be the man, you know, the proverbial man, but... Like, as a teacher, I do need some order in my classroom. Mm-hmm. As a parent, I am certainly protective of my children and would not want to stick them on SEPTA and send them down into the city by themselves at the age of 12, as right. I was doing. As you were
0: doing. Right, that. right, yeah, right yeah. And it's made, it, you know,
1: you. It, it it did. It did. And, you know, I, I had my ass kicked a couple times and, 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 you know, definitely had some things happen to me uh, due to lack of parental supervision that I wouldn't want to happen to my children uh but at the same time i kind of have this voice in the back of my head saying and i haven't really listened to it yet but saying you have to let go you have to let them live you know they need to struggle too they need to fall down and get hurt too they need Mm -hmm. to um try and fail and try and succeed and and go through all of the things you went through and it's so hard as a parent Uh, do you
0: feel the the pull from them yet or is the pull not really there they
1: they you know like my my da- my eldest daughter is not a homebody she loves to get out um but you know like I'll, i'm going to wawa oh can i come you know just 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 for little things whether it's a grocery store or wawa she wants to get out of the house right you know and and she's start starting to feel a little more adventurous um but there's no pull to go out and do the sort of things that like she's not rebellious, you know. Like I, and she doesn't have anything to rebel against. That's mm-hmm. kind of the beauty of giving them choices. Like if she came home saying she wanted to attend like a Republican convention, I'd be like, oh shit! All right, mm-hmm. put on a suit and I'll take you. There. You know, <laughs> like like I just like I, I like I refuse to give them anything to rebel against other than cruelty. And, and decency. you know, like yeah, uh, like, and I, who wants to rebel against that? You know, yeah I, yeah, I mean, they've been raised to be like they're good people. I mean, they're just so the, really like. I feel like like punk part part of the draw, you know, was the appeal of like rebelling against this very constrictive environment that I grew up in. Um, part of the appeal was the whole the, the way a lot of the messages resonated with who I already was, and then the other appeal was just I loved Minor Threat and, mm-hmm. and the way that the music Perfectly made me feel. It like, felt so amped every yeah, time yeah. I listened to it. Um, but no, they don't, they don't really have anything to rebel against. I mean, they, you know, my, they listen to Lady Gaga and the Ramones, you know, Mm -hmm. like they listen to some trashy pop stuff and they listen to good music too. And at their will, you know, um, so they're not trying to go out and do the crazy things that I felt I need to do to escape my reality as a young man, I guess. But, um, they don't really have as much of a need to, I guess, Mm -hmm. because they're just supported in everything they try to do.
0: Right. Good. Uh, Fracture toured, right? A mm-hmm. uh, couple of times? Uh, twice, yeah. Uh, and it was a U.S. tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, any particular incidents of, of note that took place uh, during the tour or recollections of, of doing that? Hard to say because I was high <laughs> almost 100% of the time. Maybe we should talk about <laughs> a, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so when, when, when did drugs come into the life of Mark Scott?
1: Yeah, it, the funny thing was, I, like when I first got into punk, I was really into the whole straight edge thing. Yeah. Um, and that lasted a while, and um, I guess when I started playing with Fracture, all of them were, you know, they had already smoked weed, and, you know, they, I think all of them smoke cigarettes, and, you know. Surely Deldo, not Adam, right? Them, surely not Adam, not Adam. <laughs> so, um, I re- the, like, the, the first time that I did anything, you know, I, I guess a lot of people start with cigarettes and then move up, but for me, I was hanging out in Westchester at one of Adam's girlfriends, at, at, at you know his girlfriend of the times house and uh everybody started drinking and smoking weed and then you know i was there and i was just like you know what i think i want to try this and the funny thing is it was like reverse peer pressure they were like no no no, no, you're the straight one you know you don't you don't mark scott is not allowed to try any of this and they were very protective of me like it, it, it was a it was really kind of a sweet moment because they were all um you know just getting really fucked up but It wasn't like, here, try this, you'll you'll enjoy it. It it was the exact opposite. It was like, no, buddy, no, no, you don't want this, you know, like I was her kid brother. And uh, I insisted, and, uh, and I guess that was the first time I smoked weed, and I just started to feel it right before I passed out. So... Um,
0: you ne- passed out from the pot.
1: No, I passed out from the liquor I drank before that, and I'm okay. not sure what it was, but you know, I, I drank enough of it to get ahead on. So, um, from that point forward, the next time I smoked weed, I got to actually really enjoy it, and and I did. And as a musician, um, you know, it, it, it's not that it, it accompanies the lifestyle and it's integral to being a musician. Well, you were making I, I just, reggae records. I, it was love, I, <laughs> I loved it, but I, like, I, I did love, like, my favorite thing. And the thing that I miss about it now, like, I, I, I am clean now, uh, having kids and a career, you know, I just, you know, it, it is what it is. But um, I miss listening to music that way. Like, mm-hmm. uh, the cool thing about it is I'm very candid with my students. So, like, I tell them about my past and I tell them that, you know, um, all of the things that I noticed, uh, all the things that stood out to me when I used to get fucked up all the time, still stand out to me, you know, like I don't need the drug anymore. I can be like, Oh, listen to that kick drum. Listen to the way it syncs up with the baseline or listen to the way the, the, the wind blows through the leaves, all the things that I didn't appreciate prior to smoking weed that, that drugs kind of helped me to appreciate and notice. I realized all those things are still there.
0: Right. So therefore, your your students should smoke pot at some point so they can have an appreciation of music later. In no, life.
1: they I, m- most of them already do, are yeah. already do, and I'm not painting with a broad brush when, when when I speak with my students. I mean, I think it's one of the no, things I like should me. They're, know them. Yeah. They're, they're very honest with me, and 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 you know, I, I I try to discuss with them you know the pros and cons, and you know, like I don't ever tell them, look, never smoke drugs, they are gonna kill you, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm like I'm honest with them, but I say you know like. Once you've noticed certain things, you know, like you don't need to continue to be a stoner. It's not that you even need to smoke weed to notice them. But the cool thing is, like, here I am, I'm 37, and I still, like, if I put myself in the mindset, like, I can listen to a record and pick out all the things that are interesting. And I don't need the drug anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I just, like, you, you know, you just you just have to be more attentive. That's all weed does is it makes you more attentive to details that, that are already there. You don't really need the drug. They'll be there with or without it. You just need to, you know, pay attention. Um, but anyway, yes, I, f- I fell in love with weed. It uh, eventually segued into other uh, less benign things. And, and... Uh, Did these less benign
0: things cause troubles?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I nearly dropped out of school, um, out of college. Uh, and... Okay. Yeah.
0: I, I was very
1: self-destructive for a time. Uh, I fell in love with, uh, the, the woman I married and decided to clean up cause I, I didn't want to fuck it up and I, I really loved her and I was happy and felt like I didn't need it. So it was really easy. I mean, I had two motivations. One was no longer feeling like I needed to, you know, you know, something to make me happy, something other than her. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess she's a drug in a way. Uh, and, and I also didn't want to fuck it up. So I guess that was the time, you know, like like around the time that we became a thing, I guess, I, I kind of straightened up. and. Did you have to go
0: through own. a formalized process of removing yourself from the thing, like something that was a structured was, program? It was, or no, you... it was really easy for me. I mean,
1: like, and, you know, to be honest, she and I would, would from time to time smoke weed prior to kids, you know, like we'd, every now and then, you know, if opportunity presented itself if we were at a party or something. Uh, but it, it just, I, I don't think I was really physically addicted to anything. I think it was all just mental and just something like you know, just things I wanted to do and felt like I needed to do to enjoy myself that once I found found her and figured out who I was a little better, um, I just didn't feel like I needed it anymore. So there was no formal process. It was just, damn, I'm happy now and I don't want to fuck this up. So,
0: right, right. you know, I just cleaned it up. So did the did the drug thing play any role in in the fact that you were sometimes known for being sort of naked during public <laughs> uh, you know performances or on tour with a band or anywhere. I mean,
1: well, no, I guess I can't play this for my kids. Uh, no, that <laughs> that uh, the the whole, the whole the whole naked thing I think was just uh, going just just part of feeling corny as it sounds. Feeling uh, I think it was part of the process of liberating myself from a very oppressive ideology and background. And it like, it was goofy. And I felt, I finally felt like, you know, I, I, I still felt like there were rules in life. Like I still felt like it was important to be good to others and to be kind to others. And, but I, I felt in terms of, I guess it was just backlash uh, against the kind of puritanical mentality that I've been raised under Mm -hmm. and feeling like, Oh wait, it's not a big deal, you know. We all have genitals and whatever. It's so what would it's the thing be being... you just
0: like walk around naked or well, not, how, how? Not, not
1: generally. I th- I think I think I think I played. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Didn't see this question coming.
0: Um, <laughs> it's kind of part of the Marx got. No, no, it's, it's, it's cool. Doing. It's fine. Yeah. it. Uh, you know, I, th- I think Mark's I... turning really red right now. <laughs> <His> <laughs> flames coming out of his ears.
1: <laughs> I th- I th- I think I probably played naked two or three times. I mean, it, and it, it was just like a, you know, you you do stupid weird things, and I don't even say it with regret. I just I think it was, I'm going to do this because I can, and it's not a big deal, and I I, I think that's where it came from. Maybe there was a small part of it that was attention getting, you know. Um,
0: but I think do. Women it, respond to that in the audience afterwards, like.
1: Yeah, you
0: know. No, I you know I, I don't know that I was fully developed at that point. Um, no. <laughs> Wait, so how, how old were you? Like, what what is the age span where this is happening? I, I think
1: I don't know that I got naked with fracture. I don't know that Jeb would have tolerated it. Um, I th- I think the I think the bands I got naked playing in were like I, I was in these other punk like more. Like less poppy and more like grrr kind of punk bands, one called Trigger that Jeb was in. Jeb actually started and being a complete dick at one point, I kicked him out of his own band. Um, and the other one was this band, this crust punk band called Police State U.S. that was very anti-schism-ish and like the, the lyrics are hilarious to go back and listen to. But to this day, I, I still enjoy, like I feel like it was well done musically, you know? Who,
0: who all was in that band? I remember uh, that, but I kind of forgot about it. Uh, Kim
1: Fracek Sang, my, be- yeah, my yeah. then best friend, Greg Sprouse, who was kind of kind of part of the whole nudity equation in a weird way, and I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, he played bass, um, this, this guy, Mike Smash, I don't even know his real last name, uh, played guitar, and this guy, Tony Humple, played the other guitar. And I played drums in that band. And it was just really fast and anti schismish and And, you know, we were into anti-schism and nausea. And it was just very crusty. And I was also into pop punk. And I did not have Liberty Spikes or Mohawk. And I just wore baggy jeans and my Sam I Am t-shirt. And it's kind of the oddball in the group, I guess. But I played drums really fast and really loud and really tight. So they liked that. And they were good friends. Most of them. I, there, there was one person in the band that I wasn't tight with. And... Didn't get along very well with it all, but the rest of them I adored. So mm-hmm. it was just you know, it's the kind of music we made. Yeah. But so you know, I, I I think I stripped down playing drums with them once, probably once or twice with uh with Trigger, and 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 that was it.
0: Did any pictures ever surface on the internet?
1: No, I'm hoping none ever do. Where yeah. is this going? Do you have some? Oh
0: no 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 no, 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 it's not, it's, no it's not, I'm not doing it uh, anymore. I received a
1: Facebook threat. Um, Someone, really? An acquaintance from the Times said something. Uh, she friended me and said, "Oh, I think we still have you know uh, video footage or picture footage of you jumping out naked at uh, Jeb's house." And I mean, we we just we went through this. <laughs> my friend Marty and I went through this like nudity stage, where I guess on stage I only got naked two or three times. But we would whenever we felt like we could get away with it. Just because we thought it was hilarious. We just like stripped down and just like walk out. And like nobody would know it was coming. It was just incredibly juvenile and stupid. But just very like, you know, coming from, again, from the background I came from. Just kind of going overboard like, uh, you know, like an Amish 18-year-old... Going through what it, what what? brand oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 Rumspring. <laughs> it was
1: like it was basically that that was our version of Rumspring. Yeah, it was yeah. just getting naked whenever opportunity presented. It's always so. good
0: to know that this happened before, you know, digital photography and right, right, you know, right cell phones recording things and you know, so there can only be a finite amount of you no. know photographs and <laughs> there, probably there, grainy taken on an instant. There, there
1: is footage at my house that I discovered Uh at the end of a like we opened up for Green Day uh, just prior to Dookie coming out at JC Dobbs. Um, and so I unearthed that and watched it when you initially raised this whole, uh, uh, the, um, uh, and, and so I watched it and then right after that, it just like cuts off and all of a sudden there's me jumping from around a corner, like naked (laughs) and no manscaping. just lots of bush, just like Chang and fricking, uh, the hangover, um, so I just like jumped out at like in someone's house. I think it was Jeb's house. I'm not entirely sure. And and I said, "Oh my god,
0: you know." I just, Is it weird for me to point out that you're naked now as we conduct this interview? It, it, you know,
1: it, it it's a little awkward. Yeah. I had to put a I towel. I that you. It. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, well, I put the towel on the floor, but I'll put it back if you feel uncomfortable. There,
0: there was some nudity going on through the 90s. I mean, I know from cabbage collective shows, because I've had to go through a lot of my photo archives, I have a lot of pictures, either performing people performing naked or people just being at the show. I mean, I don't know if you knew that guy, Rick, Asian guy, who was also known as Rick Dick, who would always just have his wiener out all the time. I don't and recall. Like, yeah, I mean, I have pictures <laughs> of that. I got pictures of bands, you know, naked. Uh, all You Can Eat, you know, Devin Moore from San Francisco Bay Area. They, you know, always... With the uh, nudity, and some of these are pretty well documented. I'm not putting these pictures up online, but um, I mean, at least you can take heart in knowing that, like, there were other people who, who equally, yeah, you know, put themselves in kind of a weird uh, position. But you, I,
1: you know. know, I like, like I said, I, th- I think it was just this this overboard sense of liberation, and especially once I had kind of shed, uh, shed the shackles of Christianity. I guess I just felt like, you know, maybe, maybe I went overboard. With that sense of liberation, but that, I think that's where it came from.
0: Yeah, you're all right now. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, okay. Uh, Mark has to pee. We are back. Uh, Mark has the bladder the size of a marmoset. <laughs> Do you need to pee again now? Or? No,
1: I'm good. Okay. All right. Another ten minutes.
0: So we'll. Uh, so tell me about the demise of, of fracture, and then maybe how you wound up moving out of punk to you know other things in life. Um. The demise of Fracture
1: was, I mean, for me, like that had been my whole identity throughout high school. I mean, I think I joined Fracture in, in eighth or ninth grade, I think ninth grade, and um, we broke up the summer that I graduated. We went on our second tour. Uh, our singer was moving out to Washington State, and, um, you know, he, he, you know, I, we, we all played really important roles i feel like but we definitely could not have continued as as fracture without chris um so he left and we broke up our last show was at the cabbage collective and it was definitely the most heartfelt uh sorry to sound cheesy but definitely the most heartfelt uh live performance i've ever played like i i just do you remember Fra- the,
0: the date and that? I don't remember.
1: I, I don't remember the date. I but I have I have a picture, of, us playing our last song. I think Brian Sobel took it, and it's from behind Jesse Van Anglin. So it's who played drums for Fracture. So it's facing the audience, and you see our back. Well, you see some of our backs. You see my front because I had my back to the crowd because I was tearing up and felt like a cornball, so I didn't want anyone to see it. Um, but it was taken during the last song of our last set, and. I kind of, you know, it It may be nostalgia, it it, it may be, you know, rose-tinted lenses, but I feel like it was the best side we ever played. Uh, it was tight, you know, like, just, just performance-wise, it was very tight, but it was also, like, very heartfelt, and I think we all felt like it was the close of something really great. And it wasn't just a band for me, it was how I found myself, um, which was a p- very painful, long process, all goofy antics aside, I mean... You and I've discussed that there was a public me that was very, you know, like happy and and, and gregarious and goofy. And then there was this other part of me that I kind of just kept to myself. But, um, you know, playing in Fracture really, you know, it got me through high school. It helped me figure out who I was, helped me see some sort of uh, innate value in myself. It also in some ways made me feel more insecure about myself because i was surrounded by people that i felt like were far more interesting and amazing than i was like i no. felt like everybody in our band and franklin who were kind of our sister band and we always played shows together and did tours together so it, it, it was kind of like we were nine people in one band with two different names you know mm-hmm. like it was just clusterfuck um but i was surrounded by these amazing people that kind of i always felt so boring and inadequate hanging out with, uh, hanging out with the rest of them. But at the same time, it really helped me figure out who I was and what my innate worth was and helped me realize what I, I, I could accomplish, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I'd helped start a label and put out a record and had gotten into recording other bands and, you know, had played opening up for Green Day and Chumbawamba prior to their huge success and took, you know, toured the country twice. So I just felt like, you know, it, it, it really helped me become so much more than I would have been without it. So it wasn't just a band breaking up. It, it was like this huge piece of, I mean, it, it was who I was. It had been my identity for four years. So mm-hmm. it sucked, you know, like, it, yeah. like it, it really hurt. It was very bittersweet. I mean, there was definitely some sweetness there too, but like it, it, it hurt to say goodbye to it and to know that it was never gonna be the same. And making music is so much like a romantic relationship. I mean, you spat, you argue, Um, you give birth to something new together, you know, like, like every song is your child and and you're making it with like five, you know, four other people, three other people. And so it felt like a, you know, it it hurt as bad as a romantic relationship breaking up. Um, you know, but that's, you know, it, it, it ended on a good note. I mean, I think it had run its course. And if I have any regrets with fracture, it was that, um, I think the best song we ever wrote was the only one we never recorded. We wrote a song called "Every Time I Play Jenga by Myself I Lose," courtesy of Jeb. That was then you know he named the song, and uh, it you know I think it kind of built on the same idea that was present in the last song on the 12-inch that we put out, which kind of seemed like a lot of our friends were like, "Ooh, is this the mark of a new direction for Fracture? Like, it's a, this song is like different. It's not just like this pop punk song." And I feel like the last song we ever wrote uh, took that even further and was even better,
0: and it never got recorded. So and not even in a uh, like a you know like a live. There was or
1: something. O- <laughs> there was one live recording of it uh, at a show we played some hardcore festival in Ohio. Uh, that there's actually there's footage of a couple of songs on YouTube, and I think Brian posted posted that on uh, Go Kid Go at one point, but. Um, but that song's not on that recording, but we did have a from the board audio cassette and the vocals are a thousand decibels louder than the song. So there's just no reason Uh, at all to listen to it other than to reconstruct the vocals or the Uh, lyrics, you know, it's something I've always wanted to cover or actually like record. And at some point, if I don't die at a young age, you know, hopefully I'll get around to recording it. But, um, I'll put it where with
0: Jesus for you was that yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Lord knows I'm on the outs with him so um so you know it, it but it, it was great it, it it made me who I was it, you know I feel like that was kind of this uh, you know second birth for me uh, it, if if punk hadn't have come along and if fracture hadn't had come along I'd, I don't know who I'd be or where I'd be now I think I'd be wired the same at my core but I don't think I'd be who I am now mm-hmm. and uh, So it was, it was really sad to say goodbye, but you know, I stayed friends and had a few ill-fated musical projects with, with various members, uh, after that, um, one being 10 Guns Loop, which I shan't say any more about. I
0: know nothing of (laughs) the band.
1: (laughs) We were awful. It was the worst music that ever came out of Philadelphia. Um, on a bad night, there were a few, you know, the songs themselves were not horrendous, but we just never got it together. Um. And the the funny thing, like after we broke up, um, I think it was Arista Records. Somebody contacted Adam, and we were Adam and I were wined and dined. They didn't know that we had broken up, and they, uh, you know, some rep from I think it was Arista Records invited us to dinner. So I went up to New York, and uh, at you know Adam and I met with this guy and. You know, he didn't express any interest, but I, I think it was just a tax, off, you know, tax write-off for him. But this was yeah. in the wake of Green Day's yeah, smashing yeah. huge you success. Green Day too, and I think like all were those just, other hits. I think they were just like, you know, I think they just signed anybody. You know, I think they were just looking to sign anybody that that was affiliated with, you know, poppy punk stuff. Yeah. Um. So you know, like, but I think eventually he figured it out by the end of the dinner that we were no more. Uh, mm. This was maybe the fall right after we'd broken up. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was, you know, that, that was, I was, you know, it continues to be part of who I am and I, I wouldn't be the same person if I hadn't had those experiences. That's good.
0: So we kind of, in conclusion, we went into the future a couple of times and, you know, in the earlier part of the interview, uh, so we kind of know where you are now. Um, but just curious as a teacher, Uh, do you see students who have the outward trappings of an interest in in punk and and then if so you know how how does how does that make you feel in seeing that now you know this many years removed from your active involvement in the scene and then this many years removed from the the beginning of that thing in the 70s i
1: you know not not often um i i teach in philadelphia and you know 90 95% of my students are really into rap and hip hop and all that um and i you know in in a way you could argue that for those that don't just put it on as background music or when they're on the bus on their headphones for those that are really into it that that's their version of punk i mean they take it every bit as seriously as we do um i don't like what all of it is about i mean some of it's great some of it's garbage you could say the same thing about any genre of music i guess but they you know um, that you don't see so much of an interest in punk but there are there have been a few kids uh over the years uh that i have met there there was a student that i taught this past year that was into metal and black metal and punk and um but she was more into the band's warped tour like she pretty much liked anybody she could pick off of you know like a, a work tour compilation right. um, and that, and i'm not saying that's not legitimate i mean like yeah, she's, we're talking she's, about a young kid so yeah yeah and, and I mean, she's she's passionate about it like she's right. really really into music and she's very smart and articulate and she thinks a lot and she will take note of good lyrics and she'll also you know she like she's made me comps and stuff before and and given them to me uh, as has her you know her ex-boyfriend um he gave me a six cd metal compilation the last day of school he came in he said here you go scott and, and, and you I, learned about
0: metallica yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's all like new you know new metal and like you know like the, the the kind of metal where you know it's you know they'll scream like the san francisco scene from the 90s for a few minutes then they'll have you know like the Really bad melodic parts where you, their voices are being run through auto tune mm. and all that shit. Oh, just yeah, just like it, 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 it's, <laughs> it's warp tour metal, You know, yeah, like, yeah. like there, there's, you know, there's real
0: music and then there's the band's. Warp Is anyone tour painted music. like a, like an evil clown or something? <laughs> fucked up clown in there. <laughs> I, I don't know if i
1: remember been grades. <laughs> Probably. Um, <laughs> you know, the, you saying that like just triggered this kind of weird, totally tangential thought. Just going back to Fracture for a second. I know it's a tangent. The the, the funny thing that, one of the funny things that I really liked about Fracture, at the time, I don't know if I appreciated it, but hindsight 2020, whenever we'd play with Franklin, whenever we'd go out of town or go on tour or whatever, Franklin always had the cool kids lining up. You know, the kids in tight corduroys with, you know, chain wallets and black shiny shoes and horn room glasses and tight sweaters. And we always, the one kid that would line up to buy our record, you know, like the the one person line would have the kid in the tie-dyed shirt with like a skull and crossbones on it, like the kind of like, <laughs> like, you know, and like Nike high tops, you know, yeah. like jean cutoff shorts. The kid that just didn't really fit in at all, not mm-hmm. even by punk standards. So like in, in, in no way, shape or form would this kid fit in anywhere with anything. Right. And we got that kid, you know, right. like, and and one of the gratifying things, hindsight 2020 about Fracture was that. You know, if, if 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 we weren't huge and we didn't have a huge impact on cool punk culture, at least we were there for that that uh, that, that 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 geeky. I don't even fit in with the punks kid uh, that would eventually attend Adam and his
0: package. Yeah, I was gonna and, say uh, like Adam was a the to and he was yeah. the, <laughs> he was like the like same as all thirteen-year-old yeah. fat kids that don't fit in. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm sorry. What
1: was that a tangent from? What were we discussing?
0: Uh, we're just talking about seeing, you know, seeing kids. Yeah, so
1: in my school, no. I mean, like my population is just such that that punk isn't really it's not really a thing where I teach. Um, I mean, you get a couple kids a year maybe who are who are a little acquainted with it, but a lot of times at that, it'll be bands, Warped Tour, punk. You know, yeah, yeah. If you're lucky, they'll know who Pennywise was, and what kind of luck is that? Yeah,
0: that is no luck at all. (laughs) Unlucky Penny. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Not to say I didn't love him in seventh grade, but.
0: so you're probably like, not revisiting those records on a regular basis. Or, no, no. A- every now and then, the I-, 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 I, kind of,
1: I-, I listen to more bad music from my past than, than most people would, I would guess. But, um, but what does come up as a, as a, as a teacher, as a near 40-year-old, is, you know, I think I mentioned it earlier, just kind of this inner conflict with, you know, having to maintain some semblance of order and also this what I have to say matters and you need to shut up and listen... You know, there's that one part of me, and then there's that other part of me inside that's still like, oh man, you need to give them a voice. You can't be too stiff with them, and, and yeah, like, but you f- don't want to get
0: because you know that like kids right. are going to find the chink in the armor and destroy you, right? Exactly. And
1: it's been no, it, and it's true, but there, uh, there's been a ten-year evolution where I've tried to find the balance, and I feel like I'm finally getting to it, where. I can be real I can encourage them to have a voice but also they have to know that there has to be a legitimate thought behind that voice they have to think before they find that voice you okay. know and before they that they, they you know hold any claim on anyone else's time or ear mm-hmm. um, so I feel like I'm finding that but it continues I'm sure until I retire it's gonna be this ongoing tension and that's good you know I, I think like the, the punk ethos is gonna keep me in check keep me from being too heavy handed or too authoritarian. Um, but time will also give me, you know, has been giving me the ability to say, okay, you know, they're young and yes, they're going through all the same things you went through, but you know, they need to have something to rebel against a (laughs) and, and, and B, they need a little bit of structure. You know, like you had so much education by the time you were in fifth grade that you could afford to fuck up until you graduated
0: from high school, you Mm know? Um, whereas a lot of my students, uh, could not say the same thing yeah you know? i mean you would say that a lot of your kids come from pretty rough yeah backgrounds right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you're teaching in an urban school you're not in a private school out in the right. suburbs yeah, right, right.
1: So, so i mean i kind of feel like having a voice <laughs> and knowing who you are and having personal autonomy it, it's almost like this is gonna sound really fucked up but it's almost like a first world problem you know it's like <laughs> let's let, first before we give them all of those wonderful Feel good things, which yeah. I do, which I do want to give. Yeah, learn you the know. structure of like we also writing need to have some next. sort of like. I, I I think, despite the fact that I got naked at shows and everything, that, that there was still some sort of sense of self discipline where, when I had to accomplish something or want to accomplish something, I knew how to do it and how to stick to it and 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 get it done. And that's you know, I, I feel like you know I, I you know just just kind of lost of thought, but you see where I'm going with it.
0: I gotcha. Uh, well, great. I mean, I thought it was a really good talking to you, and I'm glad that we uh, got to sit down and do this. Me too. Thank All you right. for for being so comfortable. Did.